on a mountaintop. This morning we return to the lectionary as we prepare for Lent, which begins this week on Ash Wednesday. You are all invited to the Ash Wednesday service that will be held here um, at 7 o'clock in the evening. Lent is a time when we reflect on Jesus' journey to Jerusalem and the cross. And this morning's gospel reading sets the stage for that journey. As Jesus gets ready to turn his face to Jerusalem and face the significant challenges that lie ahead, we find him withdrawing to a mountain to pray. Now in the, in the Bible, mountains are very special places places where heaven and earth seem to meet, where humans encounter the divine. For example, in our reading from Exodus this morning, Moses had a very special encounter with God on Mount Sinai, where he received the stone tablets with the Ten Commandments written on them. It was on Mount Horeb that the prophet Elijah found God. Not in the wind, not in an earthquake, but in a still, small voice. And mountains were a special place for Jesus, too. A place where he retreated for solitude and prayer. The place from which he was inspired to preach his sermon on the mount the place where he appeared to his disciples after the resurrection. And this morning, a place where he has a very special encounter with God. But as important as mountains are for understand, but as important as mountains are for understanding this story, so are the reasons that Jesus found himself there. As we hear this story, I find myself asking, why does Jesus go up on this mountain at this point in his ministry? What is he hoping to find there? Why does he choose to take along the people he does? If we look at what happens right before this story takes place, some of the answers to these questions become clear. Jesus had just asked his disciples in verse 18, Who do the crowds say that I am? And his disciples answered, Well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah. Still others say one of the ancient prophets has arrived. And then comes the crucial question, Who do you say that I am? Peter jumps in with all the right words. You're the Messiah of God. And then Jesus tries to tell him and the other disciples what that means. A journey to Jerusalem that will end in rejection, great suffering, and death. And he goes on to remind them that anyone wanting to be his followers needs to be ready to take up their cross and follow him. I'm guessing that conversation didn't go real well. So I'm imagining that it's with a heavy heart that Jesus retreats to the mountaintop. 
to clear his mind and center his spirit, to gather his courage, to receive strength for all that lay ahead. And he takes Peter, James, and John, his close inner circle, with him. For whatever reason, they need to be part of the experience too. They struggle to stay present with Jesus. They are so very, very sleepy. But in the midst of their sleepy fog, they catch a glimpse of something extraordinary that jolts them fully awake. While Jesus is praying, the appearance of his face changes, according to the Gospel of Matthew. It shines like the sun, and his clothes become dazzling white. And then suddenly Moses and Elijah are there in glory, Luke tells us, talking with Jesus. And they're talking about his departure, literally his exodus, which he is about to accomplish at Jerusalem. What can all this mean? Peter, James, and John probably understood better than we do what this was all about. In their faith tradition, there were stories about people whose appearance was transformed when they came into the presence of God. Take Moses, for example. His face shone after having been in the presence of God on Mount Sinai. In fact, when he came down from the mountain, he veiled his face in the presence of the people because it shone so brightly. So when Peter, James, and John saw Jesus' face transformed, perhaps, as Matthew suggests, shining like the sun, they know, without a doubt, that Jesus has had a close encounter with God. And then there was this very mysterious presence of Moses and Elijah, two pillars of Israel's history, the great liberator and lawgiver Moses and the great prophet Elijah. That they should be there communing with Jesus could only mean that Jesus was one of them and that just as God had been at work in Israel's history, through Moses and Elijah, God was continuing this work in and through Jesus. Now, as Peter witnesses all this, he just can't keep quiet. He blurts out, apparently without thinking, Wow, it's a good thing to be here. Jesus, if you want, I'll put up three shelters one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Mark, in the Gospel of Mark, accounts for this outburst by explaining Peter, James, and John were terrified, and Peter didn't know what else to say. But I wonder, too, if Peter's response might not have been rooted in his desire to hang on to this mountaintop experience. If only this moment could last forever. If only there could be glory, eternal glory, without the cross. And then comes the cloud that overshadows and envelops them. Have you ever been on a mountaintop 
when a cloud rolled in and over you, a cloud so thick you couldn't see anything around you. It can be a very disorienting experience as all your familiar landmarks are suddenly gone. In this morning's story, the disciples are not only disoriented, they are terrified. Not just because they've lost their bearings, but because of what this cloud signifies. You see, in this long story of this peop their people, the overshadowing cloud represents the Shekinah, the awesome presence and glory of God. It is a presence to be feared, and here they are enveloped by it. And then comes the voice. This is my son, my chosen. Do these words sound familiar to you? They probably did to Peter, James, and John because they echo the very words that came from heaven when Jesus was baptized. These were words that divinely confirmed his identity and mission as he began his ministry. And now, as Jesus is about to enter some of the most difficult days of his ministry, some of the most difficult days of his life, these words come again. This is my son, my chosen. And this time, they come with an admonition. Listen to him. Listen to him. Hear his words. Take them to heart and follow where he leads. It is an intense moment and suddenly it's over. The cloud is gone. Moses and Elijah are gone. Only Jesus remains and probably back to his usual appearance. Of course, Peter, James, and John are awestruck. They're terrified by both the cloud and the voice, and they fall to the ground. And then Matthew tells us something that Luke and Mark don't bother to mention in their accounts. Jesus goes to them and touches them and tells them not to be afraid. When Peter, James, and John look up, it's all over. Moses and Elijah are gone. I presume that Jesus is back to his usual appearance. And here's what I find really interesting. After it's all said and done, James, Peter, and John keep silent and tell no one any of the things they have seen. Perhaps they find the experience too powerful to speak of. Perhaps they think no one will believe them. Or perhaps they're struggling to understand what it means to see life as they know it through the lenses of this transformative experience, and it leaves them speechless. Nevertheless, whether these disciples speak of what has happened or hold it quietly in their hearts, they carry all they have experienced on that mountaintop with them back down into the valley. And I suppose 
that's when mountaintop experiences become most valuable. When we carry them with us down into the valley and allow them to alter how we see, how we respond, how we live. For Jesus, that mountaintop experience is of utmost importance as he descends into the valley into Jerusalem. From that experience, he needs to carry with him reassurance and grounding and confirmation that he is indeed on the right path, even though that path is going to be very difficult. For his disciples, for Peter, James, and John, the mountaintop experience is also crucial. They need to carry with them an an understanding of who Jesus is and what he is about. They need to carry with them a perspective that helps them see through humiliation to triumph, through shame to glory, through the cross to the crown. And for us, this mountaintop with Jesus is important. This mountaintop experience with Jesus is important too. We need to carry with us an image of the transfigured Jesus that reminds us that God is in Jesus, loving the world back into relationship. Even though this love is costly, hate and fear, suffering and death are not the final word. Through suffering and death come resurrection. In the end, the power of love wins. And we need to carry with us God's words from the enveloping cloud. Listen to him. Listen to him. Words that remind us that in Jesus we see God's will and way. That we can trust Jesus to guide us into paths of life. That his words are not only meant to be heard, but lived. And one more thing. We need to carry with us a longing to commune with Jesus on that mountaintop and down in the valley, too. Again and again. That we might be transfigured with him, trusting in the words of Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians that all of us, with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of God as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord. May we carry this back into the world, a glimmer of that transformed image within us, the sparkle of God's glory woven through our lives.